Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Happy 4th of July weekend. It's Rashini Rajkumar in for Esme. She's taking a much-deserved Saturday night off. So you've got me, and we've got a lot of great guests. We are covering some hot, hot topics. We're talking copper and nickel, the whole polymet Let me just call it an ordeal. We're going to get into that with uh, environmental attorney Paula McAbee when we come back from break. And then you probably heard about this swatting. It is a scheme, and it's really happening all over the country. It's dangerous. Andy Skugman from the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association will be in at 635. And then one of my show's regular contributors, Steve Silton, will be in studio just after the 7 o'clock, just after the news at 7 We're going to talk about some of the hot, hot trades and sports topics lately, which always presents some different PR and legal issues. Devin, I want to say happy 4th of July weekend. It's great to see you. Happy 4th of July. It's always fun when you get in here because it's so peppy and energetic and fast-paced and lots of guests. Well, you know, you may be in for an interesting uh, treat tonight because I am jet-lagged, Devin. I just returned. Uh, actually got in at almost 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m. today from uh, Sydney, Australia, Oh, where I was for two weeks. Wow. Just so, vacation? Uh, little, yeah, mostly vacation. Good, good. And uh, I, I, my husband made me breakfast. I thought I'd take a nap for an hour. Five hours later, I woke up. Good. Uh, we went for a bike ride. Uh, so, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to get back into the normal schedule. But so, I can't necessarily, I mean, FCC, I'm giving you a heads up. I can't necessarily be responsible for everything. I got some buttons about. over here that will take care of that. So, <laughs> okay, um, You've got me covered. I got you covered. Did, so you were over there for 4th of July. I was. It was the weirdest thing to be okay. in Australia. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I could have been in a more strange place for the 4th of July. But Australia, uh, I was out with some family friends, this one Australian family that's really turned into a family to me. And I was with a few of the members of that family. And we had dinner at this French restaurant. Okay. And I had been craving French fries the entire time I was there. Maybe had them the first week, but hadn't had them in a while. And I saw pommes frites on the menu. And I said to this family, we have to order these. And they're like, whatever. And I said, yep, we're ordering these. So that was my ode to America. (laughs) That was how you celebrated? We appetizered on uh, French fries. What better way to celebrate America than eat fat food? It was. And they were really good. And, (laughs) uh, you know, I had that ahead of my salmon and uh, my wonderful martini. Good. So So you had fun. Yeah, it was really good. I recommend Australia. It's a country that I love. Uh, Sydney is probably my favorite city on earth. And I started, however, I left June 21st, got there June 23rd. So you lose a day in the air. And uh, that can be a little strange at first. But I landed in a place that I hadn't been yet in Australia in the state of Queensland called the Daintree Rainforest. And so I spent my first three days there. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Did a little snorkeling and saw the great part of the Great Barrier Reef uh, a few days later. I mean, it was an amazing trip. Ever since I was a kid, I'd always want to go. I have always wanted to go there and have not yet. So It is definitely a place to go. Uh, It was winter there, but in most parts, the temps, I mean, for us, you know, it was still in the 60s. 
all week in Sydney, which, yeah, which is definitely not our winter, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, there are some big anniversaries happening right this month. In fact, yesterday, today, later this month. And a big one that I wanted to point out to everybody is the anniversary of the moon landing, Apollo 11 in 1969. One of the things, that's 50 years ago, July 20th, and one of the things I think is fascinating is that they have discovered uh, or maybe released is the better term, some actual tapes, audio tapes of those three astronauts. And so there have been some lines that have come out that aren't as famous but still kind of fun that we're hearing these gentlemen said that really weren't known before. And the BBC has a, a kind of a docudrama that it did where it hired actors to play these three astronauts, but their voices are dubbed with the actual voices. Uh, of Buzz Aldrin, of Neil Armstrong. So I think that will be fascinating to see, you know. And, uh, it, you know, the one s- small step, that whole line, yes. that was big, but there are some other lines. So just wanted to point that out. We'll get into some other anniversaries, very fun entertainment anniversaries as the show goes on. But first, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, Paula Maccabee is here to talk about Polymet. Fourth of July really wouldn't be complete without a little Bruce Springsteen music. So an ode to him, an ode to our country on this, I believe my math is correct, 243rd anniversary weekend of the nation. And, you know, just getting back from Australia, by no means a country that doesn't have freedom. It has a lot of freedom. But I still am very thankful and grateful every day for all the freedoms that we are able to experience in this country. And I think really they are rights, but they are privileges. And I hope we do remember that. One of those is the right to protest. One of those is the right to bring your opinions forward when uh, your locality, your government is doing things maybe that you're not too excited about. And so with that, I will introduce my first guest today. She is an attorney for Water Legacy. She's an environmental fighter. And her name is Paula Maccabee. Hi, Paula. Hi, Roshini. Thank you so much for having me here. You know, this whole polymet thing, give people a real for, brief 411 in case they haven't been following this copper nickel mine story. And it really has been a controversy. It has been a controversy. And that's because polymet is the first copper nickel mine that would ever have been built in Minnesota. We've had taconite mines and iron mines up till now, but never any copper nickel mines. And there really are different. Yeah, tell tell us why they're different. They are different because of the geology, because copper and nickel are sulfide ores. And so what that means is when the ores, the metals are blasted out of the ground and pulverized, the sulfide is exposed to air and water and it makes sulfuric acid. So you have number one acid mine drainage that gets into the water and that sulfuric acid also leaches out toxic metals. So when you're looking at a copper nickel mine or a sulfide mine, it's actually a lot more risky for the environment and for human health than the kind of traditional mining we've done in Minnesota before. Now, there are going to be some environmentalists, to be fair, that will say all mining is bad, correct? I think looking at the history of, of taconite mining, it is expensive to do it right. It is costly to do it right, but it can be done so it doesn't impact the environment in the same way that sulfide mining does. But the problem in Minnesota is that our environment in northern Minnesota is all water. It's wetlands and streams and lakes. And across the country, any time that sulfide mining has been tried in a water-rich environment, it has led to either acid mine drainage 
or toxic metals in the surface water and the groundwater. And that's basically a 100% failure rate in terms of protecting clean water. I'm talking with Paula Maccabee, attorney for Water Legacy. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call, 651 or 866-989-9226. I personally don't have a strong opinion about this, so Paula is here to help educate me. But certainly, if there are different opinions out there, we are open to hearing from you. So some of the latest headlines with this, Paula, as I understand it, the company Glencore will own 72% of polymet mining after the completion of a stock offering, this according to the Star Tribune last week. And your organization is one of a few that is uh, taking your appeals to the Minnesota Court of Appeals, trying to stop polymet permits. Is that right? That is correct. And so how close, if this happens, how close is it to happening? And, you know, what does it mean for business in that part of the state? Well, in terms of business, I think we want to say really clearly that Copper nickel mining is not the future of business in northern Minnesota. There are a lot of sustainable alternatives, um, renewable wind alternatives, alternatives that require the Internet and have people who want to come and live in northern Minnesota because of the quality of life and the beauty of nature. And what we need to do, I think, in Minnesota is encourage sustainable jobs rather than mining, which is you dig it out of the ground, mostly automated not people working, and then it's gone. So jobs like we have in many jobs in Minnesota, and including in rural Minnesota, where it's ongoing, people have jobs, people create value, that is not what mining does. Mining, and Polymet is a good example. There's a great big multinational corporation, Glencore, that comes in, strips us of our resources, and then leaves and leaves us holding the bag, not only with the environmental consequences, but the jobs go away. What does Glencore say is its main reason for even wanting this mine there? Water Legacy doesn't know what Glencore is saying. What we do know is what other people are saying about Glencore. Glencore is a huge multinational corporation with $200 billion or more in annual sales. And they are notorious worldwide for environmental disasters and labor abuses and bribery and corruption. And they were rated by the uh, the Steelworkers Union in 2013 as the second worst, second worst corporation in the entire world. And so when we're looking at Polymet has been a shell company – And the whole idea was to get the permits and then switch it out on Minnesota. So we have a bait and switch where this really notorious corporation that has no history or contact or ties to Minnesota is going to be owning our extremely risky, potentially dangerous copper nickel mine. And that's not good for Minnesota. All right. As I understand it, Polymet is based in Toronto. John Cherry, who's the CEO, I interviewed him last year. And uh, if I recall that interview correctly, I mean, he is talking about the jobs that would come to that part of the state. Um, But you obviously sound in in contrast to that as to the type of jobs they'd be. Well, Roshini, I think that people need to realize that mining has changed and is becoming more and more automated all the time. And so, Computerized trucks are replacing miners, and the very technical, high-level jobs come from outside the local area. 
So it's not that nobody will be working, but that there will be many fewer people and many fewer long-term jobs. And Polymet and Glencore have said from the get-go, this is not going to be union work. So the jobs may not have the kind – they will not have the kind of track record that iron mining and taconite mining have had historically in Minnesota. All right. Julie wants to weigh in. She's calling from Minneapolis, and you too can call us, 651 or 866-989-9226. Hi, Julie. Hi. Just a quick question. I've heard that the pollution can last for five, 600 years. How many years is the – company responsible for the pollution and how many years are the taxpayers responsible? That's a really good question. Um, Across the country, copper nickel mines have been notorious as the kind of industry of all the different kinds of industry in America that has the highest rate of Superfund liability. And what that means is the company goes bankrupt and leaves the cleanup to the taxpayers. In 2008, the United States EPA estimated that even if no more copper nickel mines were built, taxpayers would be on the hook for up to $54 billion. And one of the problems with Glencore coming in, Glencore's not on any of the permits. So Polymet, the shell corporation based in Canada, could go bankrupt after Glencore is made off with the profits. And who ends up holding the bag? It's Minnesota Environment and Minnesota taxpayers. So, Paula, that really seems like the headline to me is that cleanup bill that a lot of times, well, doesn't really get talked about when uh, certain groups are talking about jobs, regardless of industry we're talking about. So what is it that you want people to do? I mean, this is a very multi-layered issue. It's been controversial, and it's been going on for several years. Not a sexy topic, not an easy topic to digest, but it sounds like a very important topic for our state. Well, I think it is a very important topic for our state. And what Water Legacy and other groups are doing, are we're trying to get the permits referred back to the agencies so that there can be public hearings. Because we think the permits are weak, they don't protect health, and they don't protect the environment, and they don't protect taxpayers in the long run. And what people can do if they care about this issue is first get informed Go to the websites, go to waterlegacy.org, go to the other groups, but also let your legislator and your governor know that you are concerned, like Julie is, not just of today's jobs, but tomorrow's pollution, tomorrow's cost to taxpayers. And it's time to put a pause here and make sure that all these concerns are really addressed before we go ahead with a very dangerous sulfide mine owned by a pretty notorious international bad actor. Well, you paint a, a, a grim picture, Paula McAbee, <laughs> very grim, uh, very soundbiteable, as uh, your PR husband, Paul McAbee, would love uh, to, uh, to hear any client talk like that. Very colorful on the radio, the way you're describing this. I can visualize it. I want to understand how, I mean, just going a little away from Polymet for a moment, where are we right now in our country? Here it is, Independence Weekend, and... The, the state of the environment, you know, some people would have you believe in 10 years, you know, the earth is going to blow up. Others are saying, you know, everybody's overreacting. How could you give us kind of an objective, as objective as possible, <laughs> look at how are we doing on the environment right now? Well, Roshini, I think how we're doing is that we've lost the balance. I think that most of us in America believe we should have business, we should have development, but there has to be a ba- the biggest corporations don't take advantage of all of us, both the workers and the environment. 
And what has happened in the last couple of years, and we see this with the PolyMet project, is the agencies in the federal government that were supposed to provide the balance and say, yes, you can have industry, but you have to follow the Clean Water Act, for example. Those agencies are not working for us. They're just working for the very biggest corporations. And so looking at it overall, I don't think it's too late to fix whether it's climate or fix how we're going to, how this PolyMet project has been proposed, but it can only work well and protect the environment if things change in the way our government works. Our government is not supposed to be helping the biggest corporations. It's supposed to be protecting our water, our air, our climate, and our workers. And that hasn't been happening in the last few years, and that's frightening. Because ideally, the government, whether it's the individual legislature, legislator, or the whole body, or the administration, the president for that matter, really sits in place of protecting the American people. Correct. And most of us believe that capitalism is the best system economically that's been invented. But the problem with capitalism is the things that go out in the environment, what, what economists call externalities, are not part of the profit system. And that's what government does. It says you, ha- you can make your choices, but you have to take into account the costs that you're putting on this generation and the generations to come. And if those costs were f- factored in, recycling copper is, would be a lot cheaper than digging the mine and creating the pollution because copper can be recycled over and over and over with a lot less waste and a lot less fossil fuel energy. So part of the job of government is to make sure that we're buying the right things. And that's the part that's broken and needs to be fixed and needs to be fixed by people standing up and saying, we want to have a system that protects all of us. And it is an important moment because you said if this goes through, it would be the first copper nickel mine in the state of Minnesota. And uh, in terms of the law, that would set a precedent. Now other companies would come in and things like that. Well, Polymet called it the snowplow because all the way from the headwaters of the Mississippi up to the Canadian border, there are other copper nickel mines being proposed and exploration for the minerals. And so if we don't get it right with Polymet the first time around, we're going to have a legacy of pollution in every big watershed in Minnesota, in the Mississippi River watershed, in Lake Superior watershed, and in the Boundary Waters watershed. So we have to be really careful that government is doing its job to protect our health, our environment, and our taxes. All right. On that note, Paula McAbee, attorney for Water Legacy, thanks so much for educating us today. And uh, we will certainly keep track of where this goes in the courts. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate being here. We are going to take a break, and then we'll talk swatting with Andy Skoogman from the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association. It's a great weekend for some apple pie, I will say that for sure. Rashini Rajkumar with you. I am in for Esme tonight until 9 o'clock. We have fabulous lineup of guests. Plus, we have a special couple anniversaries in entertainment. So start thinking about some of your favorite Seinfeld moments because yesterday marked the 30th anniversary of Seinfeld. So um, I don't even know if Devin was born when Seinfeld started, but at the end of the day, you still know the lines from Seinfeld, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I wasn't born when it started, but I definitely watched plenty of it with my dad. All right. So I will be taking your your texts throughout the show and your favorite Seinfeld moments, and we'll open up the phones in a little bit, maybe the 7 o'clock hour on that. But first, a much more serious topic. Andy Skoogman joins us. He's the executive director of the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association. It is a phenomenal 
phenomenon called swatting going on around the country recently in Minnetonka. Andy is here to tell us more about it. Hi, Andy. Rashini, how are you tonight? You know, I am doing well. It is great to have you on with me, but this swatting topic uh, is very concerning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I at, at our Fourth of July celebration, I told some people that I would be on your show. They asked about this topic, and they were uh, stunned. They were horrified. They were disturbed by it, and, and I, I think rightfully so. The interesting thing, though, you know, it's not new. It's it, it's really been on the radar for at least uh, ten years. The FBI has been tracking it. Um, it all started really with uh, people swatting. Um, uh, celebrities. Um, tell people and, what it even means yeah, for those who don't sure. know the term. Yep, yep. Well, at the most basic level, um, swatting is similar to the prank calls um, that uh, uh, kids might have made. Uh, certainly, kids in my generation made growing up. Uh, you know, we thought they were funny and they were uh, very simple things as simple as, you know, making a prank phone call that, uh, uh, is your refrigerator running? Yes, I just saw it, you know, run past my house. Oh, we thought that was funny. Um, the difference here is that uh, it's certainly uh, no laughing matter whatsoever. It's a prank call made to authorities uh, with the purpose of luring uh, law enforcement to a location, usually a home, um, where they're led to believe that some type of horrific crime has been committed or is in progress. And those crimes are uh, murders, hostage situations, any type of violence uh, that has occurred. And, you know, this results in, in, in typically in a, in a forceful response from local law enforcement. Um, a SWAT team is typically called out. Uh, these are teams that have all the uh, gear that you might see on television, um, high-powered rifles. Uh, uh, they, they are there uh, with a purpose of uh, uh, preserving life. But, you know, in these situations, uh, you never know what can occur. So um, it, it's, it's a situation that has been on the radar for about 10 years. Uh, in, the last, uh, in the last year or so, last several years, we're seeing more. Uh, both in Minnesota and across the country. Nobody knows for certain how many are out there. Um, not to bore you, but local law enforcement will report crimes to the FBI on an annual basis, but those crimes are all based on certain categories. And right now, swatting is not one of those categories. So it's hard to know exactly how many have occurred, but we know that uh, we're seeing more and more. And some experts say there may be as many as a thousand annually. The last one here in Minnetonka uh, did not turn tragic, but there have been uh, cases across the country, one in particular a couple years ago in Wichita, Kansas, where law enforcement shot and killed an individual in one of these pranks. And then uh, four years ago in Oklahoma, a police officer was shot. He was wearing a bulletproof vest, so uh, he did survive. But uh, certainly, as I told the Star Tribune earlier this week, these uh, types of pranks are recipes for tragedy. Yeah, they really are. I'm talking with Andy Skugman. He's executive director of the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association. If you have any comments or questions for him, give us a call, 866 or 651 989 You can also give me a text, and I will share your text with Andy on the air. So, Andy, when people are doing these swatting calls or these pranks, are they usually calling about their own home, or is it usually someone else, like they're trying to get the cops to go to their neighbors or down the street or some other city even? Yep, definitely. So uh, they're trying to get people to go to other homes. Um, the motives are are um, uh, really varied. They are either uh, 
swatters are either seeking kicks uh, or they're settling a score. Um, uh, some of the cases in the last few years, people have admitted that they swatted someone else because they wanted to get back at them. There have been cases where drug dealers have swatted rivals in an attempt to uh, um, basically get them out of business, put them out of business. Uh, technology has really changed this. There are smartphone apps. There's online services that masks that mask a caller's location and identity. So technology has made it a lot easier in the last 10 years, five, 10 years uh, to kind of do this covertly um, and, and to do it from uh, long distances. There was a case uh, in, uh, uh, in 2015 uh, here in Minnesota, uh, there, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Minnesota charged a 19-year-old from Houston, Texas, who was uh, making bomb threats to uh, schools in Marshall, Minnesota. Uh, the individual was also swatting, uh, made a number of calls uh, to uh, Marshall's 911 system, um, but he was nowhere near Marshall. He was living in Houston at the time. So uh, technology allows people to do this uh, much more easily uh, in this day and age. And Andy, with this technology, are you usually able to find the culprits? Uh, it's it's tough. It can be tough. Uh, it depends on the situation. Um but uh, it is it is not, um, I guess I often say it's not the CSI effect, what you watch on television. It's never that easy. Um, and uh, a lot of these individuals are fairly sophisticated from a technology standpoint. They understand how to do this and how to uh, do it covertly. So uh, it can be a challenge for law enforcement. Right. And speaking of those TV shows, just on a kind of softer, lighter note, we love Hawaii Five-0. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm always like in constant amazement as the things that they come up with to, that could perhaps lead the public to believe like, yeah, you guys can do this amazing facial recognition. Just find your suspect from, you know, 5,000 feet away or two cities away or something. It's pretty crazy, you know, what they have on TV. I mean, how amazing if you had all that technology. Yeah, the, not only the technology, the the resources to uh, uh, purchase that technology, the expertise to run it. Um, TV's great, but uh, it's not reality, that's for sure. Now, on the swatting piece, what are the penalties like? Because that's a big thing that I want people to know. If they're even thinking about this or if they have any sense that this could happen in their families or, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure... The people who do this are of, of all ages, but I'd like to think that um, mature people are not doing this, that maybe it's more young people, but who knows? What are the penalties? Well, it did start, you know, one of the things that uh, a lot of people who do do this are gamers. Um, and the idea would be that you could actually watch um, law enforcement come into a house of an individual that you um, uh, that you swatted. And you could watch it live on uh, in terms of gamers. So typically, as we know, right, I mean, I know a lot of people play games, but it's certainly the demographic is the younger age. So and the cases we've seen are, have typically been um, younger individuals. The penalties uh, to your question specifically, the good news is that it does appear that the penalties are becoming more and more severe, uh, that prosecutors and judges are taking this more seriously. Uh I alluded to earlier the case in 2017 in Wichita, Kansas, uh, and a, a, an individual was uh, shot and killed by police. The the person who uh, was ultimately convicted of uh, the swatting 
was sentenced to 20 years in prison. So that is the most serious uh, sentence that we have seen so far. Um, but it's, we hope it's a trend that, uh, I think that that type of, uh, that sends a very strong message and hopefully people hear that and, and they, they, uh, think twice before they, they do this. Absolutely. Wow. Andy, things have come a long way from uh, yeah. my teenage days and the worst <laughs> thing you could do is get in trouble for TPing someone's house. Yes, yes. You know, you did that, I bet, didn't you? Uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I think my brother did that. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, the, the flip side of that is you kind of liked it because it sort of met, you know, I mean, usually the TPing, at least when I was in school is like something good just happened or you just made student council. Maybe you right. got TPed. Not that right. my parents were really happy about that. But, um, right. You know, now that I have you on the phone before we say goodbye, I always like to check in with people in your positions. You know, it is Independence Weekend, but you work with a very serious group of men and women, the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association. What are some hot topics that your members are dealing with right now that the public should know about? Well, I think one of the biggest issues that we're, the profession is facing, and I think it's really critical um, uh, for every community across Minnesota, is a lack of um, uh, individuals, lack of young men and women who want to be police officers. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, but the economy's been good. Um, there's certainly a, a great deal of scrutiny on the profession, and that is um, – uh, that is something that um, is, is warranted in terms of uh, we're pub- the, you know police officers are public servants and government employees and everybody needs to be scrutinized. But we're we're seeing probably the fewest number of police officer applicants, people who want to become police officers. They first have to take a peace officer licensing exam. Uh, we've seen we're looking at a 25 year low right now. Um, so there's a lot of individuals, a lot of departments across the state, big agencies like Minneapolis, you know, our biggest agency in the state, um, and our small agencies. And the majority of agencies across Minnesota have fewer than 15 officers. And um, they're all, everyone is struggling to find uh, police officers, find people who even want to apply to be police officers. Um, so I, I I, I just uh, that's probably the biggest challenge that law enforcement is facing right now. Um, we have a campaign that we uh, at the Chiefs Association that we launched in December of 2018. It's called Wear the Badge. Uh, and it's simply uh, a number of different uh, stories that are out there. We tell try and tell stories of what it's really like to be a police officer in Minnesota in agencies, rural and urban. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, there's a website, wearthebadge.org. Um, if you want to check it out, it's got information about being a police officer, how you can become one. Um, but what it, what it truly is really like to be uh, a police officer uh, in the 21st century. And it's an incredibly noble profession, as you mentioned, in the 4th of July, Independence Day weekend. Um, uh, these individuals give a lot back to their communities. And um, I'm just proud to have a chance to uh, represent them and be a part of the profession, at least on the periphery. I'm not sworn. I'm not a sworn officer, but I've been working around the profession for uh, over a decade. And and uh, there's a lot of great men and women who work in law enforcement here in Minnesota. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Andy, because in my past days, your past days as a TV reporter uh, around the country in the different markets I work, some of my best sources were law enforcement members, whether they were the public information officers or the chiefs or uh, the sheriff or sheriff's deputies. Uh, and, you know, we are we do give law enforcement uh, the right to protect us, the right to carry guns and use force. 
but, you know, the, the badge has definitely been under a lot of scrutiny lately. So I'm glad that you are sharing this kind of stuff with us today, Andy. Absolutely. No, I appreciate the opportunity a great deal. And thanks for um, just having me on about the swatting issue. It, it hit all close to home last week. And, and I just think it's education, uh, stiffer sentences. And, and, you know, there is one other thing about swatting that um, there is a department in uh, out in Washington um, who has started. It, it, there, there's some solutions that law enforcement is looking at for swatting, and that is uh, individuals can actually register uh, uh, with their local police departments. Not happening here in Minnesota yet, not happening in Minnesota, but uh, there are departments that are looking at it that you could call up, uh, say, Minneapolis police if you lived in Minneapolis and said, um, I want to just make sure that you know that um, I'm on the radio, uh, I host a show, um, and that can be a red flag sometimes for people swatting so that if anybody were to call 911 from your home, uh, that information would be available to law enforcement. So there is some proactive steps that law enforcement, some agencies out across the country are doing. We're keeping an eye on that to see if they're working. Uh, but it's just important just to a chance just to talk about it. I think it's really uh, it's really helpful. Very interesting. Well, thank you, Andy Skugman. You have a wonderful rest of the holiday weekend. He is the executive director of the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association, and we will stay in touch. Thanks, Rafini. All right. We are going to take a break. And then when we come back, phone lines are open, folks, because there's uh, some new numbers about sneaking out in the summertime, sneaking out, not kids. This is adults from work. I want to know, have you done it? What would make you do it? Uh, Give me a ring when we get back. 651-989-9226 or 866-989-9226. You can also text 81807. What would make you play hooky? Give me a call. Uh, the number is 651-989-9226 or 866-989-9226. I want to know what would make you stay home from school now or from school, from, from work, in some cases school. Uh, I just got back from Australia uh, literally this morning. I uh, had a little bit of a delay coming out of uh, New Zealand. I was supposed to get home last night. Uh, missed the plane by about 15 minutes in San Francisco because I was stuck in customs due to that delay, and uh, had to wait eight hours at the San Francisco airport to take a plane at 12.15 this morning. So God bless my husband who got up early to come pick me up and make me breakfast before my long nap. Um, And I understand one of my new little friends in Australia, two-and-a-half-year-old Nick Taylor, is listening to our live stream right now. Hi, Nick Taylor. Thanks for listening. It was so wonderful meeting him. And his mom, Danielle, who is the wife of my dear friend, Matt Taylor, we met 27 years ago in a Budapest train station. That launched our friendship, and this visit was my third visit to Australia. So very fun. Hello to the Taylors in Australia. Hello to Nick. Thanks for staying up tonight, Nick, and listening to me on the radio. All right. What would make you stay home from work? Um, I will admit, I won't name names, but... One of Matt's sisters spent the day Monday with me, and she allowed her 16-year-old daughter to miss school that day to come tour around. They took me around downtown uh, Sydney uh, on Monday. So, again, I'm not naming names, and chances are her school principal is not listening to our live stream right now in Sydney. But uh, according to a new survey by Corn Ferry of more than 1,000 online respondents in May, 25% of people surveyed admit to playing hooky from work 
to enjoy the season. This is summer hookies, summer sneaking out. In the same survey, 78% feel their colleagues get less done in summer. Not them, but their colleagues Mm -hmm. get less done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What would make you... Now, Devin, in our field, it's pretty hard. Now, uh, as you know, I'm a full-time business owner, executive coach, and professional speaker. I can't really play hooky on my clients. And I can't play hooky when I'm hosting here because there'd be no host in the host chair. So the world that that I live doesn't really allow me to play hooky. But as a business owner, I can take some time off like I did to go to Australia. So that is a little bit of freedom I have. Yeah, well, I'm in that world now. But there has been times in my life where I wasn't in this world and I could play hooky. And what would you play hooky for? All types of of reasons. (laughs) Was it more in the summer? It was... Yes, it would be either, and it goes back to when I was in elementary school. But I would, I would take. Oh, the, so hooky started the, early. Yeah, I got a long history <laughs> of that. But um, going to like a ball game or opening day, you know, of a baseball game, um, or the night before, wanting to go out with a bunch of friends that are going out. So you come up with some excuse of, I can't come in tomorrow, or even wait till the next day saying I can't come in. For, right. A fake reason. Well, I mean, you know, here's what I say. A lot of companies have fairly generous sick leave policies or personal time off policies. I think if you can just take it as a personal time out day, uh, personal time off day uh, for your time out, I think that would be better. Uh, Have you noticed that uh, more and more companies the day after the Super Bowl have given employees the optional day off? Oh, yeah. They just write off that day. Especially this year. I noticed (laughs) I was a lot. My brother that com- his company did his that. His company did it. Um, where they're like, "Oh no, I have tomorrow off." I'm like, "Why do you have tomorrow off?" Well, Sunday's the Super Bowl. I'm like, what? They're giving you Monday off just because it's the Super Bowl? And yeah, a lot of companies have have been doing that. Right, and I mean, I'm not asking people to feel sorry for us here at WCCO Radio, but there's just no way we could do that. I mean, I'm you, asking people to feel sorry. For us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you're going to be found out uh, at the end of the day. It's just too much of a hassle. We know it to try to get someone to cover for us in a last minute thing like that. That's why it's just better to to take yeah. that pre-planned time you, off. Yeah, you can't do it with this because you have a lot of prep you got to do. Mm-hmm. You can't. It's very hard to, you know, you take the day off. As a man, I need you to come in in three hours. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I want to yeah. watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, but. exactly. So, I mean, you know, but some some fields, but it's it's kind of fun. It's a fun little survey they did, and uh, it's great. Now, um, I'm, I'm still taking your calls real quick. We'll try to squeeze it in. We might be able to get into it in the 7 o'clock hour. 25% of people surveyed admitted to playing hooky, but how many in that survey actually played hooky and really, you know, didn't say yes in the survey? That's uh, kind of a big deal. So those numbers could be uh, a little inaccurate based on that whole honesty function. But that's still, you know, that's still a pretty big number, 25 percent. All right. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, our friend from my show, Steve Sultan, regular sports and business law entertainment attorney, will be in studio with me to talk about a lot of the hot trains, trades and attorneys going on right now. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 